Next, we come to part two, which is resourcing. And part two has three elements to it. It has 8.3, which is describe how resources are categorized and allocated to a linear life cycle schedule. And 8.4, describe how resources are categorized and allocated to an iterative life cycle schedule or an agile life cycle schedule. And 8.5, differentiate between resource smoothing and resource leveling. So these are two techniques that are available to you. You can use either one depending on the circumstances. So we'll look at both of those, resource smoothing as well as resource leveling. So part two, resource management in a linear, linear life cycle. So let's go through some definitions here. So resources in the world of APM, right from the Bach, says that they are labor and non-labor items required to undertake the scope of work to the required level of quality. So this includes human resources as well as things that you need to purchase, capital items, like machinery, equipment, etc. Resource allocation is the process by which labor and non-labor resources are attributed to the activities. So once you have your network diagram created and you have your schedule, you then, as we saw with the Gantt chart, you allocate the number of resources and what type of resources you need in order to complete those activities. So for example, for an activity, you might say, we need four people who can code at this level, and we need these pieces of equipment. We need a firewall, we need these laptops. Those are the resources we need to complete this part of the project, and they get allocated to that so that these things can be estimated, costed for, included in the cost baseline, and also in the schedule, because again, if there's any delays in getting these resources, that has to be reflected in the project schedule itself. So there is a key touch point between schedule and resources. So resources can be categorized. They can be consumable or non-consumable. So they include people, machinery, technology, property, materials, as well as facilities. And categorizing them makes it easier for you to manage them and manage the cost of them if you put them into specific buckets. So resource management within a linear life cycle. So there'll be a resource management plan for waterfall projects, and it will show you how you're going about managing your resources and how you're acquiring those resources. So if you have to go outside to external companies and you're touching upon procurement, that might be highlighted. Uh, how you're going to coordinate your resource management. All of that will be in the actual resource management plan. Mobilization is the term that's used for getting the project up and running and getting the resources brought to bear to bring them on and have them start working on project activities. And this can again be people as well as materials. So when you're doing this, some things to consider. Time factors, how long is it going to take to get these resources? There's nothing worse than creating a project schedule, going through everything about a precedent network diagram, or using a critical chain technique, getting your duration estimates all up to date, working with the activities, doing brainstorming with your team, going through all these processes, creating what you think is a realistic and achievable schedule, and then having a resource manager come to you and say, um, the resources on activity D aren't going to be available for another two months because they're on another project. These are things that you need to know ahead of time before you publish that schedule for sign-off. Otherwise, you're going to be late before you even started. 
Um, you also need to take into account the amount of resources. So resource managers, line managers will know exactly how much they need and at what time, how much those cost, because that will have a touch point or an input into your budget, and assuring the right category of people, that the people doing the work have the right skills, which is where your resource planning comes in to make sure that you get the right skills to complete the activities and thus meet project objectives. So part two, let's look at resource management within an iterative life cycle as opposed to waterfall or linear, which we looked at previously. So within an iterative life cycle, we have this concept called time boxing. And time boxing is a relatively short amount of time. We're not talking about months or six months or things of that nature. We're, we're talking about often weeks, sometimes as low as two weeks. And within that two-week time box, the team gets as much scope done as possible. It's all planned ahead of time. They accept specific activities that they're going to do, specific things that are going to be made. But that end date within, in our example, two weeks, doesn't move. It's not like with linear project management where you can raise a change request and move out the end dates. These time boxes stay where they are. And the team works as hard as possible in order to get as much work done as possible before the end of the time box. If it looks like you are running late, you aren't able to complete the agreed amount of scope that was um, added into that time box that was planned for. What the project manager has the ability to do within an iterative life cycle is remove scope. So if you think to you, if you're looking at progress and you're looking at milestones and you're looking at percentage complete, and it looks like a date is going to be missed, you remove scope so that the date stays the same, but you've changed the scope. Maybe you've removed some features and functions. Maybe you've relaxed some quality restrictions, or maybe you've taken scope out altogether, but what you manage is the scope and you keep the schedule date the same. You don't add resources, you don't take resources away, you don't add days. You would either remove scope or change the scope itself to allow you to meet the end of the time box. So that's very different than in a linear project where any scope changes are subjected to change control. And this gives the project manager the latitude needed to manage each time box. And if the, if the team is able to finish sooner, then you add more scope in. You just continually to make sure that the work is coming and that each deadline is met. And at the end of each deadline is normally a demo of what work you have done and you display that or demo that to your stakeholders. So let's look at the steps involved with resource scheduling. Resource scheduling involves the following, allocation, application, as well as scheduling. Let's look at allocation first, which is step one. So allocation is looking at the tasks, and making a determination of what kind of resources you need in order to complete it. And this is both for materials as well as for human resources. And if it's human resources, it's what skills do they need in order to complete the activities. So do they need to understand how firewalls work? Do they need to understand how to do a blueprint for a building? Whatever the skills are that are required for that specific activity has to be considered when you're doing this step one allocation, as well as the amount of those um, resources that you do need. Step two is application. So this is updating the schedule, or you could do this on the Gantt chart as well, um, to show what resources are going to be utilized, what activities are going to be done. And you can summarize this on a resource histogram. 
So we'll take a look at some resource histograms subsequently, but to explain it now, a resource histogram is a graphical representation of the resources, the types of resources, as well as the amount of resources which are needed over time. So that a resource manager can look at a project resource histogram and say, for example, on June 15th, I see that we need three testers. We need a project manager, a project coordinator, and we also need software, and we need these materials. So it will give them a schedule of events to show them what type of resources are needed and what amount of resources are needed all the way through a project. And that way they can plan appropriately to make sure that the resources are there when they're needed and the project doesn't suffer delays. Scheduling is reviewing the resource profiles, which is in the histogram, and scheduling the actual resources into the work formally so that those resources know on this day, I'm going to be working on this project doing these things. And scheduling also is a lot about managing any conflicts. So if you have a resource that's being pulled between two or three different projects, coming up with some sort of logical solution to make sure that the overall portfolio or the overall program isn't as adversely affected as it could be. So it's making some decisions on where resources should go, moving things around as they need to in order to resolve any resourcing conflicts so that projects can run smoothly and meet their expected end dates. Looking further into resource scheduling, in the PMQ book, there are a variety of example resource histograms which graphically show the resources the amount of them over a period of time. And you can immediately see how useful those will be for resource managers. Continuing on with resource scheduling. So there's two options that you have when you're trying to optimize a schedule. So if you have a schedule and it looks like it's going to be late or it isn't going to meet the deadlines, or you're just trying to get as much compression as you possibly can because you want to finish as soon as you possibly can, the two options as a project manager, the two tools that you have, are resource leveling and resource smoothing. So resource leveling is used when the amount of resources that you have and not exceeding a set amount of resources is the most important aspect to consider. So there might be a policy in which nobody can work over 7.5 hours, for example, which is gonna limit your resources. Or the sponsor might say to the project manager, this project can't go over budget. We can't spend more on resources. We have to use only the resources that we have. We don't have any options to add any. That means that resourcing is the most important thing. So it's a cost component here. And sometimes projects fall into this category. Sometimes these are the challenges that you have. What this means is that the end date isn't as important as keeping the resource numbers to the correct cost level. So the adage here is that the project manager is allowed to, with proper change control, to move the schedule date out. So this can't be used if the schedule date is fixed, if you have to get something on out by Christmas, if it's an event like the Olympics. You wouldn't be able to use resource leveling. But with a project where the date can be moved to a certain degree and the resources can't be changed, this is when resource leveling comes in. So what happens here is that instead of peaks and troughs of resources, you try to get them as level as you possibly can so that everybody is allocated to working up the uh, amount of time, be that, for example, 7.5 hours uh, per day. 
when they don't exceed that and they're not under it. So you optimize the schedule so that everybody is working at that rate and not exceeding it. And then if that means the scheduled date moves out a little bit because you're not adding an overtime or weekend work, then that's accepted by the sponsor and by the stakeholders. Resource smoothing is when you can't move the date. So the schedule is the important thing here. The project manager in a resource smoothing scenario is allowed to do more with resources. So you could potentially bring in more resources to make sure that the project makes its end date. So if you're running late, you could raise that as a risk and the management team may allocate resources from another project over to your project, for example, in order to maintain the integrity of the final end date for the project. The other thing that you can do with resource leveling too is you take a look at where there's float, if there is any, and move resources away from those activities and onto, for example, the critical path to try to maximize the amount of uh, use that you get out of your resources so that the schedule integrity is maintained. So in summary, leveling is used when you can move the schedule, but you can't get more resources. Smoothing is when you can add more resources, but you cannot move the actual schedule end date. So some differences here. Smoothing is used when time is more important. Smoothing is used when your aim is to achieve a smooth usage of, usage of resources over time. So you're avoiding those peaks. You're avoiding when people are um, working only four hours out of a 7.5 hour day. You're filling that up so that they're working the full amount all the way through. So it may be possible to reorder tasks around to do that. You may change your network diagram in order to make a nice smooth resource profile. You could delay some of the work that has float in it in order to maintain the schedule to concentrate on the critical path with resource smoothing. Resource leveling is the resources are fixed. You can't add more resources. You can only go with the resources that you have, but you are given some latitude in order to move the schedule. Resources are more important than time in resource leveling. So you ensure that the resources are used to their capacity, but you don't overload them. There is no overtime, for example. They may not be able to work on weekends. It's just a 7.5 hour week, and you fit as much as you can into those times, even if it means moving the schedule out. The next section that we'll look at is part three, which is cost planning. And there's one element to this, which is 8.6 differentiate between cost planning for iterative life cycles and cost planning for linear life cycles. So iterative being waterfall technique and linear being agile. Let's look at cost planning then. So cost planning has three elements. Estimating the cost. So this is projecting or forecasting how much you think a project is going to take using the same techniques that you saw in scheduling, like three-point and analogous and parametric. Using those estimates in order to build a project budget, which will become your cost baseline. And in a linear project, this will be subject to change control if there's any changes after it's been approved in definition and as part of the PMP. And then managing the cost. So the day-to-day -day managing what you're actually spending compared to what you planned to spend and making any corrective actions that are required, sometimes through change control, in order to maintain the integrity of the cost baseline itself. So it's important to note that the finance team 
generally will not award a project manager the entire budget at the end of definition. It will come about in milestones or increments. So they can monitor how well the project is performing. We can have go-no-go decisions and how well the project is going to be able to deliver on the benefits to give the management team some control and some opportunity perhaps to cancel the project if it is not performing to expectations and they would rather use the money elsewhere. So as you move your way through the project, it's almost like you earn the right to spend money. You might get done with the coding component of an IT project and you're ready to move on to testing. They will award you the money in order to conduct the testing activities once the coding is completed and it looks like it's been done to a level of satisfaction that the stakeholders can agree to move the project to the next phase. So in cost planning, all costs are combined to produce the planned value. So this is all planned. None of this is actual yet. We're still in the definition phase. We're creating a cost baseline for our PMP. The word that they use for this is budget cost of work schedule. So budget is how much money you have Cost, of course, is cost. And then the work schedule, what is in the project schedule upcoming that needs to be done in order to create project deliverables and then, of course, be able to realize benefits. And they often uh, abbreviate this as BCWS. So this is the cost profile against the performance that the project is going to be measured as we move our way through. So we will be measuring planned, which is BCWS, against actual, so what we actually spend so that we can get an indication of how well the project is performing against its budget. So costs fall into two categories. You have fixed costs. So these are costs that are you purchase once. So a large piece of equipment, perhaps, machinery. You buy it and that's it. It's at a fixed cost. You don't continually buy it over and over again. Variable costs, these are more associated with human resources. So um, resources on your project, team members that are performing work, They'll be filling out time cards, and that will vary over time. So sometimes they, there'll be a lot of activity on the project, specifically during the deployment phase, and less activity in concept and less activity during handover. So it, the cost will vary uh, depending on the amount of activity that is going on. So funds in a linear project, as we've stated before, will be released as work is done through a gate process. So if you're moving from definition into deployment, there'll be a chance to review the project management plan, there'll be a chance to review the estimated budget, and the opportunity for the finance team or the sponsor to say yes or no to any further spend. Whereas in iterative, there's a fixed amount of money available, and you work your way through the project life cycle through time boxes all the way through and try to get as much scope as you can get done within cost constraints and resource constraints. So let's continue with our discussion on cost planning. And let's look specifically at the differences to contrast and compare between linear life cycles and iterative life cycles. So with a linear or waterfall project life cycle, the budget is awarded upfront as part of an estimating process. So as we know, the PMP is developed and created during definition. And a part of that is the cost baseline. That is the amount of money that a project team has to spend to take them the rest of the way through a project. And any changes to that are subject to change control. With a iterative project life cycle, the changes themselves 
can happen without formal change control because the actual cost and the actual resources are set. What changes is how much scope you're able to produce within those time limits themselves. With a linear life cycle, funds are released after a stage has been completed or a phase has been completed. So for example, a finance team may give the project team members enough money to do the definition, create the PMP, come up with a cost baseline and a schedule baseline, risk management plan, and all the other elements of the PMP, but no money to do deployment until the PMP has been reviewed and the budget has been agreed. Then the project manager can move on to the next phase and start procuring equipment and using resources. With a linear project management life cycle, that can be sort of a detriment in that you are constantly waiting for funds to be approved. Now with an iterative life cycle, it is cyclical. The time boxes are short, so every two weeks or so, you will be working. It can be two weeks, can be a month, but they're short time boxes, and the resources and the amount of money for each of those is set. So you will be continually using money, and then at the end of each life cycle, continually getting more. So you may be getting payments monthly or even once every two weeks as you work your way through the project life cycle, much different than the phased approach that you see with a linear life cycle. Um, lastly, let's talk about how much change control costs. So with a linear life cycle, a change, if it happens late in a project, can be very, very expensive. So if you get all the way through deployment and you're nearing to the point where you'd like to hand it over to operations, over to business as usual, and then a stakeholder comes up with a critical change that absolutely has to go in, you often have to go back and do a lot of rework because you've been building towards a specific scope goal all the way through the deployment phase. And change, the longer it takes to be raised, the more expensive it is, the more rework is introduced. Where with a iterative life cycle, you're doing parts of the scope iteratively over and over again and developing it so that if somebody wants to make a change, you have the ability to be a lot more agile. You have the discretion as a project manager to be able to make those changes. It is a natural part of the whole iterative life cycle and changes are therefore less expensive. You're not building towards a hole and then having to do a lot of rework. You're incrementally adding on as you go and taking off if need be.